This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Welcome listeners. Today's show, I am joined by Pioneer Field Agronomist Jay Zilski, Josh Schaffner, Ali Wise, and I'm Brian Buck. Today we are going to discuss corn vibrate seeding recommendations. So uh, to get started, I think let's go around the horn. Uh, we can all call out who we are, where we're from, and then maybe just give some highlights on uh, current state of where VRS is at in your area. So, Jay, you're up first. Where do you cover and where's VRS at currently for you? Yes, Jay Zielski in Mankato, Minnesota, and uh, kind of cover an area in South Central Minnesota here, Nicollet, Sibley, Scott, Lee, Sewer counties on it, into McLeod County to the west of the cities. And so, you know, I think in, in our area probably was one of the first areas as far as folks adopting variable rate seeding, I'd say probably about 10 years ago. And I think at that time, everybody wanted to write a VRS prescription on every last one of their acres. And I think over time here, I think what, what we've seen is it's kind of maybe shifted towards growers prioritizing some of their fields that probably show the greatest amount of variability. And, you know, having said that, I'd say, you know, current state, probably about a, I'd say about a third of the growers in our area are, are set up with uh, variable rate seeding capabilities for corn. Josh, what about you? Yeah, it. Um, so I, you know, again, I cover uh, the extreme southeast corner of the state, kind of there in uh, Bluff Country, and um, you know, percentage of operations using VRS, it, it's probably similar to what Jay said. It might be maybe maybe a little more than that, but not every grower that has capability is, is utilizing the technology uh, that they have. But I'd say between thirty and forty percent would would probably cover. Uh, the amount of VRS that uh, is currently being utilized in the southeast corner. It fades a little bit in some geographies, but I think that still covers everything. Allie, what about yourself? Yeah, so I cover just west of 52 and then uh, south of the interstate. And I'd say across my area, it definitely differs from areas that are utilizing it more than others. As I get south to the border around Lyle, Minnesota area, a lot of tighter clay type soils. Um, so maybe aren't seeing quite as much variability, but on the flip side of that, in some of those areas, we do have some pivots that we're working with. So it makes it really simplistic to maybe add in just some VRS prescriptions to take into consideration the corners of those, those pivots. I think on the other side of things too, when it comes to maybe VRS prescriptions and how they help us, um, have some operations that are utilizing 20 inch rows. So I think uh, maybe the data behind that, it's just nice in general to, to have some hybrids with some variability across those fields, just to understand where's their population sweet spot sitting. So um, feel like my conversations are bringing up that discussion more and more, but I'm excited to be talking VRS today. Yeah. So in my area, I cover south of the Twin Cities, Goodyear, Rice, Dakota, Washington counties. And um, for us, it, it's varied over time. Similar uh, to you three in my southern area where it's just a lot of silt loams across the area. A uh, fair amount of capability, maybe a, a third of the acres out there uh, are the ones that get it, but there's not a lot of variability within some farms. We go from one type of good silt loam to another, uh, maybe hard to make prescriptions on. But then if I go to my north half up south of the Twin Cities, we would get into a lot of irrigation where we have a lot of variable soil types, lighter soils. Uh, you know, you think of dryland corners or sun irrigation um, is probably one of the biggest opportunities for variable seeding. So. Uh, I kind of have two ends of the spectrum, some areas that uh, were a little lighter on it, and then some areas where I think we're utilizing it a lot more. Uh, so thinking about VRS, Jay, I'm going to go to you first. Um, you think about prescription increments. So if you are going to build a verberate seeding rack for corn and you go out and say, all right, we're going to verberate seed a, a field in, in your area, uh, how often are you changing rate? Is this a 500 seeds per acre, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 4,000? What's your... Uh, 
What's your threshold number to change? You know, for me, uh, Brian, as I prepare prescriptions for guys, to me, I usually think it's going to be a, a, a minimum of about a 2,000 seed per acre shift. You know, I, I don't know that we, we have enough uh, information out there to make it any more fine-tuned than that to agonize over, uh, say, you know, 500 to 1,500 seeds per acre uh, a difference. I think you need to get in some significant increments to, to really uh, make a significant impact. And I think one of the things I tell growers, have told growers from the start as is, is well, is, you know, it, it's not like you're, there's going to be a huge savings in seed cost or a huge yield gain, but it's just a better uh, allocation of your, your seed resources and your seed costs. And, and surprisingly enough, a lot of times after we write these VRS prescriptions, we end up that the average seeding rate ends up being about where they were before maybe maybe 500 to a thousand seeds per acre difference but generally it doesn't come on too far off the mark what they would have done when they were flat rating just better allocating uh those seed costs josh what about you what's your preference when you're building out a rack in your area well i'm gonna you know that's a it kind of depends on on the situation i might take a i might kind of rewind here before i get into that a little bit and and one thing, Ryan, you mentioned a little bit uh, in your opening there around as we come, you know, maybe south or where our territories border, and then as we kind of run run down Highway 52 over to the Mississippi River, we, we do have a lot of, you know, fairly consistent, you know, silty clay loam type soils. And and one th- sometimes when you really study into some yield maps is we don't have, um, you know, huge variability sometimes. I mean, there's always maybe a little pocket, but in, in some cases we maybe only have, you know, 10, 15, 20 bushel variations uh, across the whole farm. And maybe those those ones that are 20 bushel off is a very small area. So sometimes, you know, I, I've really had to look at that where, you know, is every farm a candidate for VRS? Because sometimes it's really hard to find that. And, and in our soils, it, it kind of is a little similar to what Jay talked about is we're not going to have, you know, huge swings on a lot of these farms. It might be, you know, maybe a, a high of a 36 or 7 on the very low end maybe 32 and, and maybe running three populations where it's only 2,000 increments which isn't huge and and sometimes in Brian we've done some trials on this where when you get to consistent farms if you're running a few different populations it's sometimes it's really hard to say okay is the VRS you know the ticket is it not but I think like Jay said you know still finding those subtle changes and being a little bit more efficient is kind of the name of the game and and really where where I'm at in southeast Minnesota um you know, we don't have like, you know, VRS prescriptions that are going to range from 24,000 to 38. It's going to be a very tight window in most cases between maybe 30 and 36 or 32 and 37, depending on it. But that's going to cover a lot of it. I'm not trying to downplay variable seeding, but when you don't have a lot of variability, it's really hard to find that a big range or a swing that that's going to kind of be a game changer. Yeah, I'll, I'll segue off of that for my southern portion, just because we do we do border each other down on that side. And I'm in a similar boat. So you, you have these very consistent soils where there's not a lot of change. A lot of times, if I do build them, sometimes it's just like a 34 and a 36,000 rate that we assign out. Um, one thing you do have to be careful of if you're just going to take yield history on a really consistent farm, and I've seen this sometimes, if if you lack tile and maybe have a wetter farm, you know that can be hurting your yield just because you're not making stand or maybe you lose some nitrogen. Well, all of a sudden, you know, your yield's a little lower there. So if you create a variable seeding rack off yield, you're going to go out and potentially put less seed out in an area that's going to have a harder time establishing stands. So on some of these soils, we do have to be careful too, I think, especially where we have that consistent ground. Is it tiled well? What's the drainage like? Because we do not want to drop rate if there's productivity there. It's just maybe it was too wet early on in the season. So uh, good call out there. So Allie, your area, 
south of the interstate? Any specifics that you're building around or that you've been seeing in your area work well? I don't think many things differing from what you guys all just mentioned here before me, but I think I might just switch my take a touch in in terms of the direction I had with answering your question. And that would be, I think the biggest thing for guys in my area is, you know, maybe we're swinging some of those prescriptions by a little bit more than 2000 plants per acre above whatever your average planting population might've been for that particular field. But I think a really key piece of that is just making sure that after we have those planting prescriptions created, we're also piecing in uh, maybe a variable rate nitrogen prescription to just help alleviate uh, some of those nitrogen deficiencies in specific areas. So I feel like, you know, you find those efficiencies from tweaking some some of those seeding rates on the hybrid side of things, but then also being able to match that up on the nitrogen and then into the fertility side of things, I think is a really important piece to make sure that you're fully maximizing uh, the efficiency of just variable rate in general. Yeah, so so I'll talk a little bit to south of my Twin Cities area under irrigation for ranges. So up there, sometimes I'll get as low as like 24,000 in a dryland corner all the way up to a 38,000, for example, under irrigated pivots. Usually I'm 26 on the corners on the, the subpar stuff, but um, you start talking about variable rate seeding and impact. So you look at some of those areas where it's pretty consistent silt loams, it's going to be a lot less return on investment than you get into an irrigated sand field where you have a lot of soil types and, and a lot of other things going on. So depending on your area, the value proposition can be different. I think it's just knowing uh, where you're at. So before we talk about individual hybrids, um, one thing I think that would be good to call out is, um, what are your max and lower thresholds? So I guess I just gave one on, on the low side, you know, in an <clears throat> irrigated or a dry land corner with some really coarse soil, 26,000, 25,000, somewhere in there. Uh, but what's your max high side? So, I mean, every once in a while, you'll maybe hear of a recommendation that's getting to 40,000 or higher. Um, but what's your cutoff number outside a hybrid? What's, what's, the, what's the drop or the max number any of you would go to? Jay, we'll start with you. Yeah, Brian. So I think, you know, one of the things I found just kind of over time here, it seems like when I first started writing variable rate seeding prescriptions, we had a lot of recommendations on some of those really good soils, very highly productive soils, well-drained, high organic matter. We were writing prescriptions at, at the top end. We are going 40, 42,000 seeds per acre. And, and I think what I've seen over time is just oh, we're just really not seeing value from pushing populations that high. In my opinion, it's going to take a really, really special field to do that. And I think some of the, the work that you and, and Josh initiated with some of the uh, digital acre trials uh, over the years really helped highlight some of that. And so, you know, for me, uh, my top end, I, I typically think is going to be 38,000. And that's going to be, that's still going to probably be, you know, maybe about 5% of the fields are going to go that high. It's got to be an awfully good field. And and, you know, conversely, on, on that low side, you know, I think when I first started writing variable rate seeding prescriptions with guys, boy, they had a hard time, uh, you know, getting anything under, say, about 32,000 seeds per acre. And then through some of those digital acre trials, you know, we had a number of situations where we had 28,000 seeding rate and we were, we were pushing out 190, 190 bushel per acre yields. Now, granted, we went to those higher populations, and we were getting 230 bushels when we, we pushed those populations further into the 30s. But that got me thinking, uh, Brian, Josh, and Allie, that, you know, geez, some of these fields, uh, we've got portions of the field, we'd be darn lucky to pull 190 bushels off uh, a lot of years. And, and is there more potential 
actually on the low end than there is the high end. And, and gosh, it's it's hard for a guy to start with a seeding rate that starts with a two in it nowadays. <laughs> um, but I kind of wonder sometimes if there aren't more opportunities uh, there, even outside of some of our super coarse textured soils. So, so thirty eight thousand was your cutoff. Thirty eight thousand. And that's only five percent of the fields you'd put what, there. I'd say about five percent of the fields. Otherwise, a lot of them probably going to be thirty six to thirty seven thousand. But on your the top key end. takeaway was don't don't fret the lower numbers as much maybe as we have tended to in the past, right? Just because there's an opportunity for those plants to flex and fill it. Exactly. All right, Josh. What about you? What's your what's your cutoff number at the top? Well, I actually, um, I'm going to maybe throw something back at y'all before I give my take on that. But when you're looking at a field and trying to determine those populations, you know, how many bushels per acre swing do you want to see before you're going to say, hey, I'm going to take it up or I'm going to take it down on population? I think, you know, to me, that's important of of what that is. And I'm not sure if we're going to agree or disagree, but for me, and this is just my opinion, I, I got to see at least uh, an area of the field that's at least 20 bushel different before I'm going to start making an adjustment. See, I don't know what you guys think. Is it is it 20? Is it 10? Is it 30? I just want your opinion on how many bushel per acre swing are you looking before you adjust a population? My, my first thought, they always tell you to go with your first thought that kind of enters your mind. I thought 20 bushel. 20, okay. Yeah, so my, my first thought was 20 bushel, 2,000 seeds. It was my first thought you know what i mean if you're 20 bushel less 2000 seed lower um you know there's some caveats that go along with that but as a general rule i guess that was my first thought ellie what's yours mine i actually was thinking of a percentage so i was thinking of whatever you consider high or low bushel wise if you're 15 to 20 percent off the pace that's when i start to really consider what can i do for some of those tougher acres to increase yield yeah no, yeah. no, I appreciate that, and, and I, it's just something we didn't talk about as we get into this. And then, as for that high population where I don't go above, I agree with Jay on that that thirty eight thousand. And in in Brian, the the population data or work that we did in twenty sixteen and fifteen, I, I'd have to go back through the the summary books we published all that. It was really hard uh, to find anything that once you got above thirty eight thousand that wasn't diminishing return on investments or or maybe you're flatlining, but just spending more money in seed. So that's my high end. And in some hybrids, I'm probably pushing that 30,000 on the early side of hybrids more than later. We'll get into that later in the show. And then on the low end, um, you know, where I'm at in Southeast, you know, 28,000 is probably about as low as we're going to get. And, and again, there we're looking for some, some tougher areas of farms. And, and I do think in a lot of cases, I think Jay hit the nail on the head that I think a lot of VRS in, in our geography is, is I think there's a better chance to get upside in some challenge areas, improving return on investment there, maybe than we're going to find in those higher areas. And then, you know, I think then beyond that, it goes another step further of, you know, I just, I also don't think with VRS to maybe find the the top end yield adjustments. It's just, if you're really going to crank population, then you got to look at, okay, can I layer nitrogen management with that VRS? Can I layer other factors of additional management to follow um, that population and, and maybe the management it's going to take and and um, and maybe that's going to require fungicide applications or other things. But um, you know, there's there's a lot there's still a lot of these you know three or four different factors that um, we've done a good job of variable seeding off a yield map or soil type. But I don't know if we've really got to a point where we're connecting the dots where we're managing the other um, important inputs with that population increase or decrease. That's maybe really going to uh, take it to the next level and it, it just gets complex really fast. I think that's 
you know, maybe getting more comfortable and maybe more wireless data transfer technology will make that better. But, um, you know, high of 38, low of 28 is going to cover 99% of acres for a high and low in, in southeast Minnesota. All right, Allie, you any different on high-low range? Well, no, I was just going to make a comment on the low range of things. I'm glad that, you know, Jay started that rainfall effect of just kind of starting the conversation on that because when you think of variable rate seeding, your goal is to be, you know, what are the steps that I can take to improve my corn crop? So if we look at our tougher acres and how can we manage those differently with the help of variable rate technology, I think it's all about just getting those harvestable ears and sometimes on those lesser population type areas, I think obviously that's where there's maybe more yield to be gained. So I think that is a very key piece of the puzzle there. And then on the high end, I agree with you all on the, on the 38,000 being my max. I think the only thing that tweaks that just a touch for me is like I mentioned, do have some guys working 20 inch rows. Um, so the, they tend to max out at that 39,000. Um, haven't had any luck, I think, when you get above 40,000 um, seeds. But um, so my ranges are very similar to what to what you're all um, describing here. But Brian, what's your take? Maybe it maybe it varies very different yeah. from, from what we're saying. So 38 is generally my hard cutoff. Every once in a while we'll have a very unique situation 20 inch rows maybe we'll try 10 percent of the acres on a field higher than that but it's it's pretty minimal and so i remember i don't know if it was 2014 i remember the year but we were doing a bunch of strip trials looking at different seeding rates and i think it was 24 30 36 and 42 and uh part of the trial was we went out and actually stand counted to see what stand establishment was uh on all the trials which was very time consuming you know you're out there counting plants taking stand counts but the interesting thing was, you know, you go out there to do one thing, but you see a different thing. And every time I counted at 42, and especially as it got a little bit bigger corn, it was unbelievable to me to just see how um, the plants emerged and how important spacing got. When you get up to thir over 36,000, that spacing factor becomes so huge. When you get to 42,000 plants out there, your margin for error is very minimal to where it's almost like a double instead of a clean plant out in the field. So um, I, I'm a hard stop at 38 too. I mean, we've seen some really, really big yields and it usually comes from having 36,000 ears, 37,000 ears that are all consistent in a field. And it's hard to keep them consistent, I think, when you get higher seeding rates than that. So, um, and just one other piece on the, the low side, I, you know, you think about trying to cut costs. I mean, if you do have 20% of your acres, if they're eroded, you know, knobs out in fields or whatever it may be, if you can cut those a couple thousand, three, four thousand and save a little seed, that is return on investment if you're not going to give up any yield. So, Good discussion. So let's segue from there. Let's really quick just talk about hybrids, some of the new stuff uh, that we have out or newer. Um, Jay, I'll start with you. 90 P9772 AM. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, just to get maybe a specific hybrid? Well, <clears throat> Brian, I think you know, historically, I think one of the things we've tended to see over the years as is, is well is that as you tend to get below that 100-day maturity, it seems like the earlier maturity, earlier CRM we get, the greater the response to to increasing populations as a, a as a general group is what I would say. Uh, and it, but if we look at 9772, new product this this past year, you know I, I'm going to look at kind of what I would consider to be moderate seeding rates uh, on on this particular product, or maybe the the low end as it stands today would be about 32,000. In, in 36,000 if you have a very highly productive field, but I think as we're, we're pushing uh, the higher end of that 
that population range. Uh, I think we also need need to be uh, managing uh, aggressively too, as far as with a fungicide application on, on that particular product uh, as well. It does seem to be quite responsive to fungicides. You get in those high yield environments where you're just pushing those populations a little bit higher. All the more reason uh, to consider uh, using that fungicide. All right, Allie, what about P9880 AM and AMXT? Yeah, so 9880, I'm going to take it a little bit more off of AMXT here just because I think it's just such a strong, high-leading triple option for us here. Um, And when I'm thinking about hybrid selection, the first thing that comes to my mind is just maybe yield potential of that particular field. So if I'm looking at a high-yield particular uh, potential on a field or, or significant portion of that field, I think 9880 is going to want to be going to be one of those products that um, it's a highly productive product that you can put on some of those more highly productive um, type acres. I think a consideration um, with this particular hybrid, you could swing your population range anywhere from 32 on up to 36. Um, echoing what Jay said, I think you're more willing to maybe push pops a little bit on some of these earlier season maturities. So, um, but certainly as we maybe choose to start um, pushing populations on a particular product like 9880. I think this is a situation where you just want to make sure you're considering a fungicide or just those other options to really treat that product well as you start to push push population. And I think that's pretty common with sub-100 day hybrids across the industry. Anytime you're pushing population on something that early for the maturity in in any given zone, um, that fungicide application can really, really help stabilize it come late season. So Josh, what about P0075Q uh, or AM? Yeah, um, a new product there, uh, a product we, we got to uh, take a pretty good close look at there in 2019. And I, I think it's a product that um, <clears throat> I, I think it's got really good ear flex for, for the hybrid, even though it's a newer genetic family. Um, I know I looked at this plots in some lower population situations this year and really like the look of it. But on the flip side, uh, where we had some higher populations that did good. Agronomically, it's really strong. It's late season um, stock and root really, really stood out. So it's going to be hybrid. It's going to be really stable in high populations. But uh, I think in, in most cases for observations, I don't think there's a lot of need to push this much above 36 to 36.5. And on the low end, I think it'll perform well, even down to, to 30 to 31,000, and even in some higher yielding environments. But if I was going to set it and forget it, I think it's probably a 34,500 hybrid, but that'd be the, the range of ERS up to like 36.5 and, and down to, to 3031. It'd probably be the range you'd, you'd look at managing uh, P0075 AM or Q. Yeah, and just one comment I'd have from walking plots. I was really happy with consistency plot to plot, just looking at how it performs. So that's a good sign too, I think, anytime you are in that 36,000 range. Jay, P0421Q, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's interesting because you know uh, Josh commented on 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 seeing seeing some ear flex in in zero zero seven five, and I think kind of my observations on zero zero seven five, even though you asked me about oh four two one, but on zero zero seven five, my observations last year was it really seems to to, to flex maybe you know a little different than a lot of products. Maybe think I think it tends to flex maybe a little more so lengthwise uh, compared to oh four two one, which is going to put on some some girthy ears and and. You know, I, I I joked last fall at plot tours with growers when we were talking about 0421. You know, usually you don't expect a Pioneer Hybrid to put uh, 20 to 22 rows of kernels around uh, the year, but but 0421 does that. And so consequently, you know, I think that it tends to show quite a bit of ear flex. And to me, uh, I, I actually think if, 
you could go on on the on the top end there. You know, for me, I, I think it's 30, 34, 5. I think a lot of that sweet spot's probably going to be between 30, 32 and 34, 5. I think it's one of those that you could maybe even take down as, as low as as about 30,000. Um, but you know, I, I like uh, Josh's line. If you if you're going to set it and forget it, is probably on this hybrid be around 34,000. You know, having said this, I say all this, and then. I just before uh, the podcast here, I had a uh, call from a grower that couldn't put 0421 in a contest field, and of course I told him to put it at 36.5. I mean, when, I, <laughs> when it comes down to it, if we're going to go for a contest field, let's make sure we got more than enough plants. But I think general production, a highly productive field, I think you're at 34, 34.5 on the top end would be good plenty for that particular hybrid. All right, so maybe I'll talk quick about P0688Q. Uh, if I look at that, we've had it out a couple years in a row, extremely consistent across a lot of environments. Um, generally, I'm going to be in that 32 to 36,000 range. It could go down to 31 if it had to. Um, I do have some fields. We'll maybe push it to 37 in. Um, agronomically, it can handle 38 if you want to try it and push it. But uh, overall, great performer. Um, you're not going to do a lot of wrong. If I'm going to set it and forget it, 35,000 is where I'm going to drop it at. So I have it on a lot of corn on corn, and that'll be going out at that 35, 35.5 range. So we talked a little bit about comparing maturities and general trends. So let's hit on that real quick again, just to recap. So when we get into early maturities, a couple different comments there. So 96 day and earlier, Josh, I'm going to throw it at you. you. Use a lot of P9608Q down in your area. And that's maybe an extreme example for the area. But what do you see in um, generally on early maturities? And then we can maybe quick comment on that hybrid because I think it's worth a call out. Yeah, a lot of times when we get earlier than 96 day, um, 96 and earlier, we, we tend to have to push population in, in general uh, to, to get the yield out of those hybrids. Not that they don't yield without it, but we definitely still get a uh, good return on the seed investment, you know, maybe even up to like 38,000 in some cases. Um, you know, when, when I get to 96 day and below in a lot of cases, I, I really don't want them drop below 36,000 drop rate. Um, in, in some cases, we like to see it, you know, maybe up to, up to 38,000, but you know, we've had pretty good success with these earlier hybrids where if you can get them in early, uh, keep that population up and take advantage of, you know, a little bit longer growing season with it, um, it, it tends to work out pretty good. I think a general rule of thumb is why we need a little more population is we just don't have as long of a grain field period. So we're maybe limited to the amount of days and, 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 and how much sunlight's available to, to harvest in that window where um, when you get those early hybrids, we're just seeing a few more plants out there to, to drive yield. But I like to push population. Uh, on the early side and then it does seem like as we climb up and we'll talk about it it maybe starts to slowly taper back as we move up maturities yeah so i'll maybe comment a little on late late stuff and throw out some anecdotal evidence from the field and see what everybody thinks so 107 day later for me i i've been on quite a few calls in the past for when you get it you know 37 38 39,000 out in the field even if it's under ear graded high product irrigated high production ground Ears get really bouncy, plants get a little bit unstable, and it just doesn't seem to perform quite as well. Um, where at 34, 35,000, it puts on a heck of an ear, um, and it seems to produce better. So you think about that compared to the 96 day Josh talked about. Um, we're actually looking at dropping rate probably on average 3,000 compared to the early stuff to get uh, the, the response in the right place. Now you talk about sunlight, and you think about a really late hybrid that's pushing that late for maturity. You're trying to do a lot of grain fill in September and into October, and those days are getting shorter every day, and I think sometimes if we have those plants too crowded, it just gets hard to finish well. Plants kind of shut down and they give up. I don't know what you guys think. It's just something I've seen over the years, and it just seems like that 39,000 can't hold up when it's filling in September, October. 
You know, Brian, I think you mentioned those, uh, you know, the, those fuller season products, like those 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 later products you start getting, I think, what you say, 107 beyond, something like that. And, and, you know, I think the thing, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, a lot of those products are, are most adapted to, say, the central corn belt. And, and historically, in the central corn belt, um, they've tended to have lower seeding rates than us because I think a lot of the products they happen to be planting in those areas happen to have a lot greater tendency to, to flex ear size some as well. And so I think by nature, it seems those fuller season products as a group tend to maybe not be as responsive to higher populations. And then, you know, if, if you look at our area, then too, I agree with you 100%. You start pushing the latter part of the season where you're trying to get into well into grain fill there. Uh, you know, we got... All those plants are solar collectors out there, and uh, and so we really need to capture as much sunlight as possible to try to help, particularly those full seasons, full season products, because they're going to need the entire month of September to finish off. Yep. So, good comments. One last thing I think we should talk about before we wrap this up is all right. So you're in a scenario where we're going to push yield or try to push yield, right? We'll we'll have a high corn segment. We'll we'll have a whole another podcast on that. But just as long as we're on seeding rate. So if we're going to have these fields that we're pushing to 38,000, 37,000 pretty consistently, um, what goes along with that? Because we can't just go throw 38,000. We've mentioned some one-offs here as we went, but let's just summarize that really quick before we go. Allie, if you have a, a field at 37,000 out there or 38, uh, what type of things need to go along with that to make it perform? Well, I think you already mentioned this too when we were in the hybrid hybrid discussion earlier, but if I'm going to start pushing populations that high, I just really want to make sure I'm finding that balance between, obviously, if we're talking high yield, you want that racehorse type hybrid, but it has to have the agronomics behind it. They're going to going to allow it to withstand uh, popula- populations 37,000 plus. So I maybe have a little sweet spot, sweet spot for it in my heart, but 0688 really is that number that tends to pop out in my mind that I really like to start pushing that also happens to be a later maturing uh, racehorse type hybrid. So in a way, you're kind of looking for a, a unicorn type hybrid, uh, kind of the best of both worlds there, but that's kind of my, my number one thing. So genetic fit, Josh, what about you? Yeah, if I'm going to push population, um, especially about 30,000, I'm going to probably look at, at three things. Um, number one, um, if I'm going to push population, I want to plant it really early. Um, the reason I want that is that I want to get to the reproductive stage and, and take advantage of the longest days of the year as much as possible. And then on top of that, I want to layer that with fungicides so that I can you know, take advantage of sunlight on the front side, take advantage on the back side, because sometimes in that thick population, you know, um, you know, the, the self-shading can be an issue. And then from there, when I, I push really high population, I don't want to front load the nitrogen really high. Um, I really want to try to separate those applications in a perfect world. If I'm pushing high population and maybe for some contest corn, I want to split that in. Um, I'd like to do it you know, a little bit pre and actually have two more trips to split it up just so that we don't create so much vegetative growth pre-tassel that it just becomes this kind of mini rainforest jungle out there that um, I think a lot of cases you can just get so much vegetative growth that the sunlight interception energy burn uh, is just too great. And that's the one we commonly see um, the yields of high population go backwards the wrong way. And uh, so it's kind of a three-tier effect I like to do. I like to, to really take a look at if I'm gonna push population, what's the game plan from the get-go? Um, kind of wanna have that figured out before the season starts because that management's gotta start right away. So Josh, you were plant early, use a fungicide, and uh, what was the other piece? Oh, Split late nitrogen. End. Split the end. So Jay. Three applications. Anything you'd so like Brian, to... I think if we're going to look at a uh, a highly productive field situation, 
uh, to where you're going to push those populations really high. You know, I think one of the things I'm going to look at, and, and maybe this was just an assumption on your part, but it's going to be soil potassium levels, so, so, soil test potassium levels. And that we're going to want to be, you know, in, in my opinion, we're going to be at least over 200 parts per million, maybe 200, 220 parts per million as far as uh, potassium, because we know that that's going to help us out as far as sustainability. And, and I always want to be looking at that, you know, the relative balance of, of potassium and, and nitrogen as well. 10 degree uh, with Josh, I was, I was jotting down before he was saying it as well, uh, a timely application of that, that foliar fungicide. And then just ensuring that you have uh, late season and available to the crop as, as well. But uh, for me, you know, one of, the, one of the things that's different than what uh, Allie or Josh had mentioned would be just looking at those soil potassium levels also. Yep. Nope. Good comments. So uh, for anybody listening, if you do have more questions, don't hesitate to reach out to your local sales rep or one of us. Uh, we do have Herberate seeding programs, so if you do have interest in getting any of that done on your farm, uh, let us know also. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.